peace, truth, spirituality, healing, holistic health, aliens, ancient history, plant medicine, mysticism. If these words excite you, you're in the right place. Here, we seek to dig deep into all these topics and more. You, me and my guests together. Welcome to the Enlighten with Alex podcast. Welcome back everyone to the Enlighten with Alex podcast. If you haven't already, hit subscribe. Today we've got a very special guest, Jacqueline Dunn. She's a nutritionist, hypnotherapist, holistic health coach, bioenergetic practitioner, best-selling author and truth warrior. So welcome to the pod, Jacqueline. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Cool. Did you like my intro? I do. I do. Where did you get that from? (laughs) Get off your Facebook page. (laughs) <laughs> most importantly yeah, lovely lady <laughs> yeah mo- uh, most importantly uh, a truth seeking mum yeah definitely definitely mm-hmm. so just to give you a bit of backstory I first heard about Jacqueline because uh, right at the start of the first lockdown I saw a video that she'd put up uh, really brave Facebook live you seemed slightly nervous and I thought you could tell that you were kind of pushing through because you mm-hmm. really believed in what you were saying. Um, so I really respected that. And obviously you, you went viral, like I say, off the back of it. So yeah, do, you, do you want to just kind of tell us your backstory and the lead up to that point? Yeah, so, um, well, it's a, it's a bit of a long story, but regarding the video, I have been speaking out about vaccines um, for probably about, eight years. I've been researching them for 12 years because my um, eldest daughter, who is now 12, uh, eight weeks old, had her six in one DTAP and had um, quite a bad reaction. She um, had a convulsion and it made me, she's absolutely fine, thank God, but it was very, very scary. And it made me start to research vaccines. For two years, researching them I didn't speak to anybody about what I was doing um only had a conversation with my GP to say that I wasn't willing to carry on with the vaccine schedule and I would be um, carrying on with my research for the time being but that was really the only person that I spoke to about it apart from immediate family and that was not because I did I doubted what I was looking into is because I didn't feel confident enough to talk to other people about it because it's such an intense subject when you raise it with someone that they um, get quite defensive so I just kept myself to myself kept my head down um, and it was only about two years into my research that I actually started speaking to kind of friends about it and to see what their take was it what was on it and I was quite amazed um, at how abrupt people can be how defensive people can be um, how they believe that you're questioning their parenting um, if you are raising that subject with them Um, it's a really emotive subject which is probably why when I was going to speak on Facebook about it I was really nervous because even though I've had this platform with a little bit of a following nothing like what I've got now um, but since writing the book um, which came out in 2017 I had this little bit of a following and I'd been speaking out about things like this anyway I've been speaking about natural health the fact that the pharmaceutical company companies are so corrupt that the food industry can't be trusted all of this thing all these things that the kind of things that I've said in the book the kind of things that I've now studied um, but they were being said in a 
a Facebook group, which was on the back of my book, Mind Body Miracle, which I had a couple of thousand people that joined and they were all very like-minded. Anytime that I spoke out about that stuff on my own personal Facebook page, it there was always some negativity. But I knew in doing that, that video, if I had spoken out about it in that little group, it would be an echo chamber. I'd be speaking to the converted. So what was the point? And we were getting to a point, we just got into lockdown. I think it was the 23rd of March, we went into the first lockdown in the UK. And that it was the 29th of March that I did that video. It was a Sunday afternoon. I'd said to my husband, James, I'm getting so annoyed that people must be thinking what I'm thinking. People must be able to see what I can see. There must be other people out there who are starting to question the mainstream narrative. And, and if they're not, then they should be. And that's why it was kind of a question everything um, Facebook Live. Um, and I said, I'm going to go live on my own personal page. He was like, you sure? Because he knows the kind of animosity that that can bring. Um, and I said, no, I've got to be brave. I've got to do it because I need people to start thinking a little bit out outside the box here so I did it I went and meditated first um, and just kind of relaxed myself um, got on the Facebook live was a little bit shaken afterwards because I probably said more than I'd planned to say it was like a 12 minute video and then just thought I'm going for a long walk walk the dog be absolutely fine came back gone for about 40 minutes <laughs> I walked in the front door and James's face was like you need to check your phone <laughs> I was like, why? What's happened? And as I picked it up, you just couldn't. It was just scrolling, scrolling, scrolling. It was like it had been possessed. It was insane. I think within about 45 minutes, it had had half a million views. And within 72 hours, it had had two and a half million views. Um, it just was crazy. Messages were flying in from all over the world. Um, you know, Australia, New Zealand, Canada, um, Qatar, Dubai, it was insane. Um, and obviously loads and loads of negativity as well. Lots of people saying, who are you to, to say this? You don't know what you're speaking about. You don't have qualifications to talk about this, um, which who knew? You have to have a whole list of qualifications just to do a Facebook Live now. Who knew that? So uh, yeah, you get that. You get that. Luckily, eight months in, the negativity has tailed off a lot. And what I've ended up with is about 125,000 people following me where the majority of them are very like-minded. They're very open. I'm also getting eight months in now, lots of people that initially said, I saw your video, I thought you was crazy. I blocked you. And then about three months in, I was like, I need to find this woman again. <laughs> and people have come and apologized for making a judgment. Um, because a lot of the things that I said in this initial video have actually transpired now. So, um, which is a good thing in a way, because it has made people think that we're really believing in this. Um, but it's also a bad thing because I didn't want to be right about this stuff. I actually wouldn't have minded being wrong. <laughs> yeah, I see what you so, mean. Yeah. That's, uh, that's where we're at. But in terms of, you know, my background with what I do, I was an accountant um, 14 years ago. I was an accountant. And that's what I wanted. That's what I was doing. I wasn't enjoying it, but that's what I was doing. Um, and I lost my mum and dad in a week, uh, the same week. So I lost my mum on the Monday. My dad died on the Friday. They hadn't been together for 30 years. They both 64. I was 35 and they died of diet and lifestyle related conditions, just very poor choices that they made in their life. Um, and it was a, obviously a huge shock, but it was a very big wake up call as well. And it made me um, kind of 
look at my priorities, look at my own health, look at my my lifestyle, look at my job, didn't enjoy what I was doing. Um, and I just changed up everything and initially started studying hypnotherapy. And it just kind of evolved from there where I was initially studying one, because I wanted to take my mind off of the grief. And two, because I um, wanted to help myself. I wasn't studying to ever help anybody else but I got completely obsessed with it and ended up with enough qualifications to start a practice. So um, I did. Um, and people were noticing the difference in me and were saying, can you help me? Because I want to do this as well. I want to fix my autoimmune condition. I want to get a better mindset. Um, and the practice just kind of grew and grew. So um, ended up writing a book, um, which is a lot of the tools that I use in the book. And it's kind of just grown and flourished. And I think what that comes down to is it's um, a very heart-led business. Um, it's Of course, it's about making money because we've all got to live. But at the same time, it's about making services accessible to people, um, making sure that people have are able to access tools that can help them at, a, at really good prices um, in terms of accessible you know I once went on a business course and they were saying to me that how much people should be charging for this kind of stuff and I was disgusted because this is life-changing stuff and people need to be able to afford it and not everybody would if you was charging crazy prices like that um that's also why I set up Facebook groups uh, because you don't have to pay to come onto the Facebook group it's a, it's a free group I give out a lot of free content and I do get messages from people especially since the video's gone viral and that group Groups grow massively I get messages from people who I've never met they're just on the group and they're like oh, thanks for adding me to your group I've lost a couple of stone I'm now I've got such a better mindset so it just goes to show that this stuff doesn't have to cost you don't have to invest in yourself obviously some people want to but the information is out there and it's just making it accessible to people wherever they are on that rainbow bridge making it accessible so that they can um, start to implement some positive changes Definitely. It's very powerful stuff. Obviously, like you said, you've got thousands, over 100,000 followers now, and you're helping all of them through your group, through your page. So, yeah, shows how powerful one person can be if they follow the heart. And I think that's why people liked your uh, original video that went viral. You could tell it was very heart-led. You know, you weren't just trying to, um, there was no ego there, anything like that. You were just worried about where we were heading. Mm. Yeah, I think it's really important to um, make decisions from a heart-centered space. Um, and I think what we're actually going to see now, um, I can already see it happening, um, especially in the business world. You're looking at a lot of the really big businesses that have a history of being greedy and they're falling by the wayside. And you're looking at some of the much smaller heart-led businesses that have a history of um, being involved with charity, doing a lot of pro bono work, um, really helping people out that can't afford to be helped. Um, and they're thriving. They're thriving. And that's amazing. Uh, that's, I think that, that gives me hope that this situation could possibly be about more of a cleansing. Um, that's what I'm holding on to. No, I totally agree. I think it's going to be a long process, mm, absolutely. Like five, ten years, but we're seeing a huge shift and all the corruption that isn't anything new. It's been going on hundreds, probably thousands of years. It's mm. all coming to the surface, isn't it, for everyone to see? And if yeah. you got things like the Circo, Track and Trace, you can't see how it's wrong that £12 billion of our taxpayers' money 
is going from our pocket into the royal family's hands to trace mm -hmm. us. I mean, it's there in plain sight, isn't it, really? And it's, it is now, and I think it's it's got to the point where it's undeniable, and I think that's why we're getting such a huge pushback. Um, in the UK, we're getting um, such a lot of um, rules and guidelines that are thrown at us, that, um, and, and also a lot of hearsay is happening now, just to kind of pump up that fear, especially around the vaccine, we're getting that, um, you know, you won't be able to book a concert unless you've had this vaccine, you won't be able to go to a football match, it's all going to be linked in. Um, which is, you know, there's nothing at the moment that makes that categorically true. But because the, the, we've got this mass awakening happening and people are, as I said in that very first video, starting to question everything, um, they are having to squeeze us all that little bit tighter because fear creates obedience. And the more fear that they can push, the more likely that we will just sit down, shut up and do as we're told. Uh, because pretty much people will do anything with a gun to their head because there's fear there. Yeah, it's true. And I think the top boys in the Nazi regime, like the Goebbels, the Hitlers, they all wrote and spoke about fear. It's a massive way of controlling the public. Well, it's been used by governments all over the world, hasn't it? Well, there's government documents now. There's You can look at the government documents that state about um, adherence to social distancing when that first came out and how they were going to get people to comply. And that was a whole fear-based document about using the mainstream media um, to show um, more and more people's um, demise from the virus, um, using the mainstream media to show that people that weren't complying were made an example of. So that's why we saw footage of people being hauled off train for not wearing a mask which actually is um, completely legal to get on a train without a mask on it's not a problem at all um, so that they were they were using this psychological warfare um, that there are official government documents to show that that's what they use if you look at the sage committee there is a lot of psychologists on the sage committee but there aren't any epidemiologists, virologists, or critical care experts. So if that alone doesn't tell you what this is about, then really need to give your head a shake. Because if this was really about public health, and this was about an infectious disease, we would have a committee full of virologists and epidemiologists, not psychologists. Well, we've got literally hundreds, thousands of the world leading scientists talking out against haven't we but they've been completely silenced through social media they don't even give them a debate on tv and make make it fair it's just the narrative is the story and that's it well, it's strange because I thought the Great Barrington Declaration was pretty conclusive when you look at the amount of scientists that have been willing to put their name to it, the amount of um, public who have signed it as a petition. Um, I thought it was, you know, pretty conclusive. This needs to be given some kind of airtime. Um, but I was on my um, local uh, Facebook page the other day, which I don't go on to very often um, and somebody actually commented I can't believe that um, this Michael Yeadon is being given any um, any kind of acknowledgement because uh, this great Gap Barrington declaration all it's doing is bringing in a lot of doubt to people and obviously there's no doubt and I was thinking how is it obvious that there's no doubt show me where it's obvious have you never heard the term no smoke without fire you know these people these scientists 
have nothing to gain and everything to lose by speaking out. And even before those, if you look a bit deeper at the other ones that have come to the forefront, like Dr. Judy Mikovits, like um, Dr. Chris Exley, who's the aluminium expert that spoke out about the links between autism and aluminium, like Dr. Teresa Dersha, um, uh, the Tompkins and the CDC whistleblower. There are so many of them. Um, and whenever you speak out about this stuff, the first thing people say is, oh, yeah, but that Wakefield guy, he was he was struck off and well actually exonerated but no one mentions that um and it's not just one guy we have got so many people speaking out now when are people going to realize that you know that you can't say follow the science but only follow the science that fits the narrative that they want you to follow that's just incredible i just i i never thought when i did that first video eight months ago that we'd very quickly get to the stage where this had more holes in than a colander um, but we here we are <laughs> but still there are people yeah. who have been paralyzed by fear and still are believing the narrative yeah it's crazy really but i go back to what i say i'm excited because like you say there's so many holes i don't see how after this maybe it will take a few years but how people are going to still trust these organizations Big farmer, government. The pattern that I see is every time they they have this new wave of a virus, there's also a new wave of an awakening as well that goes along with it. So when we had the first lockdown, first wave, you had a lot of um, compliant people that shut their businesses, wore their masks, social distance, didn't see their family, done exactly as they were told. And then we had our summer returned slightly eat out to help out 64 million people did that then all of a sudden bang smack into another lockdown again and people were like hang on a minute we did everything we were told we didn't see our family we closed our business we lost a lot of money and you are now going to do that all over again to us no i'm not having it this time and more people question each time they do it and they bang those shutters down again people are just becoming more and more resistant to the tyrannical guidelines they just they're not having it so if they push for a third wave which i really suspect they will i think that is when it will absolutely fall apart and and that's when the balance will tip because i think now we're on that tipping point where there is 50 50 in terms of awoke and just still following but even out of the ones that are still following they're following because they feel they have to not because they actually believe it so there there is quite a a, a, a growing percentage of people on that side that could easily tip onto the awoke side and that's what's going to happen in the third wave i see that happening yeah, just little conversations I've had. I was talking to my mechanic the other day and they don't they haven't researched it to the level we have or look into things, but they say things like, oh, I don't trust it. Maybe they're just trying to sort out the environment, give that a break. So it's like things that <laughs> I don't believe that's true at all, but it, every man and his dog is questioning it to some degree. Aren't they? Yeah, absolutely. Even if it's not, you know, deep, dark rabbit holes, everybody's starting to say to me now, there's got to be something else going on. Um, it, that's what somebody said at the Tesco's checkout the other day. Oh, there's got to be something else going on. This is ridiculous. I'm like, yeah, you might want to research that. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, you know, my hairdresser is a classic example. She locked down for the first lockdown. She was done um, and she followed the rules. When she reopened the first time I went in there, 
I, I was so shocked. She had like the full visor on, the mask underneath. She's getting me to wash my hands, sit down in the chair. She works alone in a salon. Um, and I was like, what are you going to do? Open heart surgery. Look at you. What amount of PPE you've got on. Um, but slowly but surely, that's <laughs> each time I go now, it's a little bit less PPE. Um, <laughs> starting to say, there's no way I'm going to close my business again. This is crazy. We can't keep doing that. We've got to feed ourselves. So, yeah, even the, the people that were so tight and regimented in the first instance, they are starting to slowly wake from a slumber. Um, and that is the rousing of a sleeping lion. So I think the government are pulling us, squeezing us that little bit tighter. Um, and, and, and people get really angry about that. Why are they doing that, for God's sake? I think it's a good thing because it shows desperate measures from them. Um, I think it actually shows how desperate they're getting. Um, but the tighter they squeeze, the more people wake up. They don't, they don't have any other tools apart from these more and more restrictions. Um, it's like a parent that, you know, I, I've had been a parent to a, a daughter who did everything that she was told when she was told. And, and if she was told off, she, she, she followed the punishment. But I've been a parent to another daughter who would not do anything I said and a punishment meant nothing and this is where we're at you know the first lockdown was the first daughter where we're all doing as we're told and now we're like no we're not doing that <laughs> and it doesn't matter how much you shout at us and it doesn't matter what restrictions you put in we've had enough now so um good luck to the government because you know it's no fun <laughs> yeah yeah definitely I saw some uh, footage the other day it was going back to the start of the first lockdown and um on the news, they were showing footage in China and it looked like the Black Plague. It was like dead bodies everywhere, people in body bags and stuff. And then now we fast forward. If people went back and watched that, they'd be like, well, that hasn't happened at all. Exactly. And that's where the fear came in. And that's yeah. where if you go back to the early days and the huge numbers um, that we got from Ferguson, um, well, I mean, why we were even taking advice from that guy still, I have no idea. Um, not least because he broke lockdown for a booty call, but you know, his numbers. And he had a wife. Got... He's got a wife. <laughs> I, know. I know. And you know, the person that he was um, visiting, her husband had COVID. So. <laughs> yeah, because he, he said there'd be 500,000 deaths this year, didn't they? Absolutely, yeah. He's, he's because we're crazy. Been... That's not the first time that he's done that as well. He's 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 done that for other so-called epidemics. So um, why we're still listening to that man, I have got no idea. But yeah, he he was ramping up the fear with the numbers in the early days. We had footage from all over the world. Obviously, we kept they kept telling us we're on the same trajectory as Italy and Italy that we kept seeing footage of body bags and it was all of that psychological warfare again. That fear, fear, fear because fear creates obedience and I posted on um, Facebook a couple of weeks ago about how fear paralyzes the frontal cortex in the brain and what that actually does is paralyzes your um, critical thinking so you can't actually make a rational decision because you are so frightened and that's exactly what they've done and that's exactly why we've got psychologists on stage not anybody to do with health well physical health yeah and I think that's why people that like yourself and I that meditate and you kind of have that space and you can separate yourself from fear you can actually see what's going on more clear yeah I know yourself from the start was questioning it the same as same as me 
Yeah, and that's that's all we need to do. We, uh, I think it's really funny at the moment that anybody that's questioning the mainstream narrative is being called things like conspiracy theorists or anti-vaxxer. Um, you're not uh, creating a conspiracy in your mind just by asking questions. How is that a conspiracy to say, I would like some answers to the following. Why has the virus not been isolated? Freedom of Information Act from the CDC has confirmed that's the case. It's not been isolated in a human. Why are we using a testing kit that is not specific to COVID-19? So people are getting positive tests. Positive for what? What are they positive for? You know, these we are absolutely well within our rights as free critical thinkers to ask these questions. Asking questions about a situation that is changing your life is not does not make you a conspiracy theorist it does not make you anti anything it makes you a free thinker and if you're not asking questions i think that's more of a conspiracy theorist if you're not asking the questions because you're just going along with what you're being told and they are conspiring well yeah we're meant to be the crazy scared ones but you know they've got masks on gloves on shields on I, I kind of flipped that on its head, same as yourself. I know, it's, 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 and I'm the conspiracy theorist. When you're going to um, Tesco's, like you're about to perform open heart surgery, um, and walking around terrified to get within two metres of somebody, and I'm the crazy one, really. I know, I know. And I just go back to the test, I think that's a really important part of the whole puzzle. It was created by a guy, I think he's called Carey Mullins or something. Harry Mullins, yeah. 1985 and he said yeah. you can find anything in anyone using this test it should mm -hmm. not be used to look for viruses didn't they and we've seen so many healthy people they're saying well i feel absolutely fine and they're testing yeah. positive and they're testing like as many people as they can we've seen adverts everywhere haven't we? and the t and the testing you you'll see that the narratives change with that it's very funny because um, it's a little bit like when they release a new um, Apple iPhone and they create, um, you know, the need to have it. It's there's there's only a few that are going to be able to ha have it. And so that you get people queuing around the block for it. And we had that with tests. They created this ex exclusivity like we've we've only got a few testing kits. Not everybody can have a test. And, and to compound that, in the very early stages when we first went into lockdown, I was hearing about people calling 111 and being diagnosed over the phone. Yeah, sounds like you've got it, you've got to go into um, quarantine for 14 days. But now, and then it was, you only need to be tested if you've got symptoms. And now, literally, you've got army cadets knocking on people's doors, handing out free tests <laughs> like sweets it's just it's it's insane how have we gone from that to that to that the same thing happened with the ppe there wasn't enough ppe for the hospitals what are we going to do nurses are going to die and now all of a sudden you've got to wear them to go to tesco's and you've got to change it five times a day so <laughs> how have we gone from that to that these are the little things that we need to be questioning interesting thing about curry malice um the founder of the pcr testing kit um he actually died in august 2019 um so he has done a lot and you you might find them still on youtube or bitshoot um he's done a lot of talking about this was never a test that was designed for uh, picking up infectious diseases it was bacterial matter and um anybody that's had any kind of um scarring in the lungs or um, diseased tissue um, which is going to happen it for asthma copd um you know the 
pretty much glandular fever if you've had any kind of the adenoviruses any of the coronaviruses so that's why you're getting people turn up that are having the tests no symptoms at all and they're testing positive the conspiracy theorist in me and this is a bit conspiracy theorist it's so co co coincidental that he died um in august last year and then september october is when we first started hearing about the virus and the only testing kit we're going to use for this virus is the testing kit that the very inventor has said shouldn't be used for infectious disease make of that what you will um i'm sure if he was around now he'd have a lot to say about it based on the footage i've already seen of what he said about this test um, David Icke did a, one of his first videos with, um, I think the one of the first ones he did with Brian Rose, and the very first thing he said was, please research into the testing kits because these are not specific for this virus, it's going to be picking up um, just bacterial tissue and matter and it's just to get your, the numbers up. And of course this is about getting the numbers up because if it wasn't, why would they be wanting to test everything with a pulse? Why would they need to be coming around and knocking on people's doors and asking them to do a test when they're at home perfectly healthy? Before this, if I went to the doctor and said, please, can I have a test for X, Y and Z? And they said, well, what's your symptoms? And you said, I've got none. They'd laugh you out of the surgery. So stop wasting my time. And then if you did get a test and it was a virus, guess what they say? Well, it will run its course. We don't treat viruses. So let's look at historically how we've dealt with viruses um, that are infectious and let's look at how we're behaving now with this one single virus. I mean, millions of viruses out there, millions of viruses have been out there throughout the, since the beginning of time. And then this one virus comes along and look how it's turned everything upside down. This is not about virus. Well, we've never actually quarantined healthy people, have we, in the history never. of mankind? Um, and, and that's that's the most psychological damaging thing. And that's why I've just pulled my youngest out of school, because I don't like the fact that they are being treated like lepers when they're actually perfectly healthy children. Um, you know, I'm, I was lucky at that school they wasn't doing temperature checks or things like that. But there's the incessant hand washing. There was the quarantine if they've been in contact with anybody that's tested positive. Obviously, people being tested just for fun at the moment. Um, so that was going to happen. Um, there's this. They were brainwashing them a little bit of the news as well. So they. She told this was the straw that broke the camel's back. She told me that she was um, having to watch BBC News Round. Um, two episodes of BBC News Round every day before she came home from school, um, which, you know, I was like, the BBC of all things. <laughs> uh, yeah, I was not impressed with the, that. Uh, the Billy Bullshit Corporation. Well, British Brainwashing Corporation is what um, I, I, I told her. Uh, she's nine. Um, and we don't have the news on at home. Anything they know about the virus, it's because I've chosen to tell them. Obviously, they have to know about it now because they come to the shops and people are walking around with masks and I'm not. And they're like, what's going on, mum? So I've had to tell them what is necessary for them to know. But at nine years old, she was coming out of school absolutely terrified, saying things to me like, mum, you're going to die if you don't put a mask on. You know, you really need to wear a mask and you're the only one in the supermarket that doesn't have one on. You might die. I don't want you to die. Please wear a mask for me. I was like, no, I'm not having this. So... Well, you um, pinch yourself to check. You're still alive. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Yeah, so it, it's it's crazy, and I've been able to pull her back from that and explain that. But imagine, you know, that drip, drip, drip effect. These children are going into school believing they're diseased because they're not allowed to play with their friends. They're not allowed to even sing at school. Um, so I've got the, my youngest daughter wasn't allowed to sing at school. Um, they had to hum when it was somebody's birthday. They had to hum happy birthday. My eldest daughter is allowed to sing at school, but they have to face a wall. Wow. So, which is I thought that was a punishment. You got someone to face a wall as a punishment. So, um, yeah, news to me. She's banned from choir. She won't. That one won't come away from school. I've really tried to encourage her but she loves school. She's 12 at 12 schools, your life. So um, I've allowed her to carry on. She, I've raised three fingers. What can I say? Um, so she's still at school. Um, but we've said, you know, you can't, you can't go to choir if like, singing is facing the wall. That's how is that enjoyable? Yeah. So, like say, it's a punishment, isn't it? And I think the long, long lasting psychological effect on kids is going to be very damaging, like OCD, anxiety and whatnot, isn't it? Absolutely. And we're, we're seeing that now. I mean, I don't know if you follow Emma Kenny, um, the psychologist um, that does a lot of this morning and she does a lot of Twitter, um, really rational thinking now, questioning a lot. Um, and she recently tweeted about a seven year old that had taken her own life uh, at seven. You know, how do you even know? how to do that and what to do at seven years old how can you possibly be that low is that really where we're at it's it's crazy and we've got we've got to the point now where we're going to be possibly locking university students in over christmas because they have to have a negative test to be able to go home and if they don't have that negative test they will be locked in no university students are dying of covid but many are dying of suicide so why is that okay to lock people in their residence when the thing that is more dangerous to them will be exacerbated by being locked up? And they've got a really raw deal because if you compare them to a prisoner, because they, if they are locked in their homes over Christmas, they will be a prisoner, but they're paying nine grand to be there. Whereas if you commit a crime and go to prison, it's free to be there. It's the taxpayers that pay. Yeah. The, the world is on its head right now. It's upside down. Yeah, definitely. You get free meals and the rest of it as well, don't you? Yeah. We, we're seeing all sorts, aren't we? Um, There's a video the other day of a woman who wanted to take a mum at the old people's home and bring her home. Yeah. She got arrested. We're seeing students from barricading the home. And in August, we had more suicides than COVID deaths. Yeah. And that's not even taking into account uh, the excess cancer deaths. You might have of people not being, um, what's the word, uh, treated or... Diagnosed. Um, diagnosed yeah. I, I lost a friend um, during the first lockdown. Um, in fact, uh, I just after my video went viral, she shared a video which I shared, which got quite a lot of traction. Um, she had uh, metastatic cancer, so it's classed as terminal, and she was having. She never decided that she wanted chemo or radiotherapy. She was doing everything as natural as possible, um, but she had just been put on an immune therapy trial drug trial um she was told in uh, february that she was accepted on the trial she had her first treatment in march then we went into lockdown and the trial was originally suspended but then it got completely cancelled but also because a lot of the clinics that she was going to for alternative treatments so she was having things like intravenous vitamin c hyperbaric oxygen chambers none of those clinics were open so she couldn't access her alternative treatments either 
she was told that she would, if she went into hospital, she was 40 years old, she's got four children, her youngest was four, and um, she was told if she went into hospital, she'd be do not resuscitate. So, which is insane for somebody of that age with four children, single mum, and that's really what the video was about. So, um, that's manslaughter, isn't it, really? It absolutely is. It absolutely is. So, yeah, she um, she ended up passing away um, a couple of months ago, and um, she will not be the only one. There are many, many people that have not been able to access their treatments, have not been able to get diagnosed. I've heard from lots of people that got diagnosed at the very beginning of the year and their treatment hasn't started yet. Um, so God knows what's happening in the meantime. Um, and they've contacted me to try and get holistic advice. What can I be doing while this is all going on? Um, because there are, you can empower yourself a little bit with some information to and depending what your thought process is on cancer treatments, it could possibly be a blessing that um, they can't access the more toxic treatments and they will be able to do things more naturally. But of course, that really does depend on what their mindset, their belief is, because I think that you're, when you're choosing treatment for a chronic disease like that, it has to be something that you believe is going to work. Because if you're going down a path that you don't think there's going to be any hope, guess what happens? Yeah. No, I completely agree. I'm a big believer in freedom of choice. I think with this virus, you know, fair enough if they said we advise if you're vulnerable, elderly, stay indoors and whatnot, maybe make, make some advice about things. It's the fact that they're putting it into law, they're forcing you to you can't even see your own family. To me, they're taking away, like, our most precious human rights. Mm -hmm. They're... they're, they're joy killers right now it's anything that you get any kind of joy from um be it um seeing your family um meeting people to eat all of them things that raise your vibration and your frequency have been um almost demonized demonized to the point that if you are seen to be doing them people will report you I mean, if I told you this time last year that people could possibly report you because you'd go and visit your family or you would sit in a restaurant with more than six people, you would think I was absolutely insane. But in a really short time, this is how that where they've got us to. I mean, the, the way that people have complied and not even complied, but gone out of their way to to snitch on others. You know, I just I was scrolling through Facebook last night and when some a, a lady that I know had a call from the police Saturday mo Sunday morning. They actually came to her house and rung the buzzer and asked her why she had just before lockdown been in a pub garden with so many people that they weren't all her family. Uh, <laughs> um, and this was like 11 o'clock on a Sunday morning. They they rung her house they've turned up on her doorstep when she was burgled she didn't get any police to turn up on her doorstep she reported it and got a crime reference number um but that's that's where we are now in terms of priorities you know we're we're getting four, 40 police turn up to a gym that's open but in the same area if you report that there might be a paedophile on the loose you get a crime reference number <laughs> what is going on in the world this is what i mean that we're completely upside down the world is on its head the good is bad bad is good it's just insane it's insane crazy time to be alive enjoy that's, the ride eh? that's my favorite saying right now it's like what a time to be alive <laughs> i just walk it's around the 13th today 
Friday the 13th in 2020. I heard that there's going to be a a big announcement coming from the States today, apparently. Mm. Let's see. Let's see how that one pans out. Oh, no, it's even crazier over there with all the election (laughs) stuff. (laughs) Got it easier. Um, So, yeah, we've talked a lot about the tests. We talked about, you know, we've all been locked up for a virus with a 99.7% survival rate, whatever it is. so now let's talk a little bit about the vaccine, because I know this week it's come out that Pfizer's produced a vaccine. It's apparently 90% effective. Uh, what do you think about that? Because obviously you've researched a lot in this field. Um, so I said I was an accountant, so my maths is pretty good. I don't think you really need to be that great at maths to realise that we're talking about a virus predominantly with a 99.97% recovery rate, according to the CDC, and they've rushed out this vaccine that would normally take a decade in a matter of months, and they've said, amazing, it's here, it's ready, we can save you, and it's got a 90% effective rate. Like, right, okay, so shall I rely on my immune system? Or shall I rely on this vaccine, which is going to contain God knows what, because we don't yet know. But if, if rumours are correct and, you know, these rumours are not from Fred and Bob down the road, these rumours are from ex-Pfizer <laughs> scientific advisors. Um, if rumours are correct, it's going to be such a toxic concoction. Um, it's an, this, this particular one, so there's lots of different vaccines that are on the boil at the moment. Um, there's AstraZeneca, there's Pfizer, Johnson & Johnson, um, Oxford, I think, are doing the AstraZeneca one. There's, there's a good few, I think at least seven. Um, but this one, the Pfizer one, is an mRNA, which is a messenger RNA, which is a kind of DNA-altering vaccine. Um, once you have this injected it will be impossible to do any kind of detoxing so when i have um worked with children in the past predominantly children because parents come to me quite panicked because they've noticed a difference in their children's health post vaccine and we do a lot of detox work and you can you can detox um, from some of the vaccines that are um, currently on the schedule um, vaccines use um things to open up the blood brain barrier so um for example msgs polysorbate 80 they open up the blood brain barrier and that means a lot of the ingredients particularly the heavy metals thrimosol which is derivative of mercury aluminium can pass through into the blood brain barrier and can cause um in particular neurological issues at that at present time we could be able to detox that we can increase methylation capabilities in 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 people we can support with um, heavy metal removal we can often see strong improvements in um, particularly children when you detox from the effects of a vaccine I don't think that's going to happen with this one because it's altering DNA. And if it's altering DNA, that M in the mRNA means it's a messenger. It goes in and it starts replicating, altering from the minute it's in. It's going to be doing damage from the minute it's in. And and there's nothing there that we can do about it. It's not about taking that out because it's changing the way that your body functions in the very first instance. So out of all of the vaccines that they are trialing, this is the one that I had the most concerns about because of it being an mRNA. Um, And lo and behold, it's the one that they want to push first. 
in Australia, interestingly enough, they have stated that this vaccine, same vaccine, is not going to be given to anybody in the vulnerable or elderly list because the testing is insufficient. But in the UK, we have said that the vulnerable and the elderly will be the first people to get it, uh, which I think is crazy. We're not even out of phase two of the trials. We will be phase three and four of the trials. We are the human guinea pigs. Um, we've seen stuff that's been um, leaked this week um, from the MHRA, um, Medical Health Regulatory Authority, which is like the UK version of the CDC. They have stated that they're looking for a software system so they can keep up to date with the adverse reactions. From They are expecting a high volume of adverse reactions and they need this software to keep up to date with all the monitoring of the adverse reactions. So that says to me that we are going to be the lab rats. We are phase three, phase four. Now, all of those people that said, there's no way I'd volunteer for a vaccine. I'll have it when it comes out, but there's no way I'd volunteer on the trial. You are on the trial. You're on stage three and four of the trial. Congrats. <laughs> Enjoy. Yeah, and, and Pfizer actually were part of the uh, one of the biggest payouts. In the they were. They were the single biggest payout. Before that, it was Gardasil for HPV, but uh, in terms of vaccines, but Pfizer, Pfizer is the single biggest payout from a pharmaceutical company. I actually posted this week on my Facebook page their corporate rap sheet, which is extensive reading. Um, they have had some huge payouts, billions it runs into. And what you have to bear in mind is they didn't go into liquidation. So how you much... You all right did this? You're being prisoned <laughs> Absolutely. You all right did what they've done in the past. It's, they are murderers. They are murderers. They are complicit. And they know when they're putting these drugs out there that there will be collateral damage. And this is a thing. This is a, these are words that I use quite frequently, collateral damage. Um, I, when I spoke at, at Trafalgar Square, I said... Um, our children are collateral damage in a game of corporate greed. And that is exactly what's happening. They look and see there's going to be damage. And this is probably what we're going to have to pay out. But look what we're going to make. So it's worth it. It's okay. Let's just roll with it. There's no consequences. Yeah, they might have been fined in court, but that company is still in existence. If it's still in existence, that means they could well afford it. They could well afford it. It's, yeah. it's, it's I did Put some... it into perspective, it's like us being fined 30 quid. Yeah, you I know, did some maths on this. If everyone in the UK, UK alone, had one dose, they'd make $12 billion profit. So if they got fined $2 billion, you still made $10 billion. And that, that's just one dose in one country. They're trying to do this across the whole planet, aren't they? It's, it's insane. And when people say, oh, what have they got to gain, though, if they want everybody vaccinated? I'm like, just look at the figures. Look at the figures, but why aren't doctors speaking out? Because they stand to make 12 grand a week from vaccinating people in their GP surgeries, because it's going to be £12.58 per, per patient payout. Each patient needs two doses. That's going to be 25 quid per patient. They want to get GP surgeries uh, to be hubs, vaccination hubs, and they want them to be injecting about 975 patients a week. So 975 patients, if it's if it's their first dose, £12.58, we're looking at 12 grand a week. A week. Crazy. And then, no, no wonder why GPs aren't speaking out. Look how much money they're going to make. It's crazy, isn't it? And let's uh, talk a little bit higher than that, because I know 
Uh, it's come out in the news that Valence has got big shares in a vaccine company. He used to work for GlaxoSmithKline. Matt Hancock's got big shares. Witty's had payouts from Gates, who I'd like to talk a bit about as well. So what do you think about all that? The conflict of interests are all over and it absolutely should not be allowed. It should not be allowed that, that when I was an accountant, um, you know, you couldn't even take a lunch off of a client without having it to go through the books and be assessed and make sure there was no backhanders going on. And we are talking, this is not just, you know, they gave them a car. They gave them the witty payout from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation was 40 million was 40 million pounds. How, how can you explain that? You know, this the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation who are funding so much into the vaccines is just, and, and this is somebody that's in a position where he's making decisions about how, our health. And he's gonna make that from a non-biased perspective, having been given 40 million from Gates. Well, yeah, and, and Gates, he, there's a video, I can pull it up, try and put it in the description if people like of him last year saying that he's made 180 billion in the vaccine industry. He was kind of like boasting about it. And then he's got, he owns 25% of the WHO. He absolutely makes me irate when people call him a philanthropist because there is, and somebody, and somebody posted a meme a few months ago saying, you probably saw it yourself, you know, oh, imagine being Bill Gates. He's giving all of his worldly fortune to help finds the cure for this deadly virus and he's being called all of these names and imagine being that you would you'd but you'd, you'd stop bothering yeah please tell him to stop bothering we'll be fine without him uh it, it's just if you had any inclination how much money that man makes from poisoning people and how many people he has maimed and killed not just in the western world but looking at especially the african countries where you've got some of the more outspoken presidents saying stop testing on our community we don't want you here um and and he's still put on a pedestal by a proportion of people just no yeah, he's got his hands in a lot of the media's pocket hasn't he like i saw i've seen him on bbc a few times they don't ask him any difficult questions. They're like, oh, Bill, our saviour, what, what should we do? And they speak to him like he is like a really educated epidemiologist, virologist, and he's going to know so much about the virus when he couldn't keep a virus off of a computer. And they want him to um, put him on a pedestal and speak to him like he's some medical guru. Um, no, just no, I don't like people ask me, oh, well, where did you get your medical degree? Same place Gates got his probably. <laughs> 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 but you're going to take his jab <laughs> so, yeah it's it's so crazy the amount of conflict of interest that are allowed to go on the one that for um uh matt hancock he has i think it's seventy five thousand pounds of shares in bioport and pharmaceutical but that isn't his as such that is just for whoever sits in the position of um whatever his position is. What is uh, it? Health secretary, I think secretary, it's... Yeah. Um, so whoever sits in the position of health secretary has those shares. Um, but then he is involved with a company called Babylon Health, 
have a little look at Babylon Health and what kind of things they're doing. Um, it's quite disturbing and very aligned to what's going on now. Um, he's got a lot of fingers in pies as well underneath the surface. Um, also be interesting for people to know what he actually studied at university because it's not anything to do with health. Um, so that's interesting as well that all of a sudden he wants to own shares in, in medicine companies. Um, and then you have um, obviously uh, Patrick Valance um, was involved with GSK. Now, these people can't make bias, um, unbiased decisions. They can't with, with their background. And I understand that a lot of people in these positions need to have a scientific background, but it has to be an unbiased scientific background. You can't pluck people out of pharmaceutical companies that are still going to have links, are still heavily funded. That's, that's not how we make decisions. If this was happening in a corporate world, it would be before a court. And it's not. These people are making decisions about our life, about our health, about how freedom, about how our human rights. And they are making them for financial gain and financial gain alone. Yeah, I think the whole system needs ripping out, really. Like how that's allowed is just an absolute joke. And they're, they're voting on their own pay rise every year, voting against NHS workers getting pay rises and the rest of it. Well, I was shocked the other day when we announced second lockdown and we were, I think we were just about to announce second lockdown and they were rolling it over and over. It was going to be four o'clock, then it was going to be five o'clock. Um, and we had I probably just fit in a gap on BBC News. Neil Ferguson was on and I was astounded that he was still on. So, for example, when I was an accountant, if I had to go and give a set of figures which were going to be predictive of what's going to happen in the next quarter in the company. And it involved shutting down the company to save them. And then it transpired that these figures were so completely wrong, we didn't actually need to shut down the company. And by shutting down the company, it led to an absolute fallout and lives were lost. Would I then be a quarter later standing there doing the presentation again? No, I wouldn't. I would probably lose the right to practice. Yet here he is on BBC News, next lockdown, standing there talking about it like he's the font of all knowledge. Why are we giving this man airtime? Well, of course, the answer to that is he is on the BBC, which is massively funded by Gates. He plays the game. He says the figures. He ignites the fear. And he's a little pawn in their game. That's why he's given this airtime. He's continued to give this airtime. But if you look at that scenario in any other industry, the man would be gone. Yeah. It's crazy, isn't it? And, and the BBC, I don't get how people still watch it. The history with <laughs> pedophilia. They've even got a statue at the front. I was in London the other week at the protest. Yeah. Down to the BBC. There's actually a statue built by a pedophile of an old man holding a naked little boy. And that's on file that he was a, he was a convicted pedophile. Honestly, so a say, oh, a lot of old statues are like that. And then I start to say to them, well, don't you think it's strange what happened with Jimmy Savile? You know, everybody at the BBC would have known that that was happening. And there is a thought process that that's why Jill Dando was killed, because she was about to reveal the amount of 
paedophilia that was going on within the BBC. If you've watched the Out of the Shadows UK version, the UK version, you've got people like John Wedger, who's been speaking about out about paedophilia in the UK as high up as the government for a long time. And he talks about Leon Britton, who was Margaret Thatcher's right hand man. He talks about Ed, uh, Ted, uh, Edward Heath. Ted Heath, um, who used to take boys out of children's homes, take them along the river and abuse them all weekend, and then they'd go back into children's homes. And then you look at figures of children that go missing in the UK. A lot of them are returned. A lot of them are children in care. Where do they go when they go missing? And and this kind of plugs that gap. You know, this is why why do we just assume i actually posted about how many children go missing in the uk and the uh, overriding consensus was yeah but they do come back it's not the point where are they, are they going what is happening to them in the protest process are they being used and abused like these poor boys were by ted heath who was so high up in government it was so overlooked do you think people didn't know that was going on Margaret Thatcher knew full well what Leon Britton was up to, but she turned a blind eye. And that is something that happens throughout these industries um, it, across across the world. And, yeah, it's and, and we're complicit. if you pay your BBC licence, you're complicit in that too, I'm afraid. Yeah, I agree. I agree. And um, again, a lot of that's coming to the surface now, isn't it? We've had the Epstein thing. Uh, which has had a documentary on Netflix off the back of it. Uh, we're seeing a lot of things over social media. So hopefully a lot of that is going to come to the forefront as well. I think that there's probably people out there that make Epstein look like uh, a junior at this stuff. Um, I think that there are probably people that we would be shocked, um, that we know of, um, that we would be shocked, um, maybe not so shocked. I mean, I, I wouldn't now. I, what I'm seeing now, it's really interesting because you start to see people that are being outspoken about political situations. And from the way that they are speaking, you pretty much know that they've been bought. Um, and these are people that I were really shocked because they're people that I personally have had on a pedestal. Um, and I'm not talking about the ones we know about, like Tom Hanks. Um, I'll give you a couple of examples. So I follow Gabby Bernstein. I love Gabby Bernstein. Um, well, I did. Um, she was a spiritual leader as far as I was concerned, same as Deepak Chopra, um, although I'd started to question him with his friendship with Oprah Winfrey. Um, and they have been shocking in, the, in what they've posted, um, their tonality of their posts, who they support politically. I'm so surprised because these are meant to be quite awakened individuals. Um, so I think we're going to see now the people that we might have had on a pedestal that probably shouldn't have been there in the first place. Again, another example of the world being upside down. Yeah, fingers crossed, fingers crossed we see that. And uh, just going back to the, the virus, we've talked a little bit about the people profiting and whatnot. Um, more long term, do you see like a, a bigger agenda? And what do you think that could possibly be? I've always said that when I'm asked that the agenda for this is they have wanted to get a lot of things pushed through for a long time that people would not want to happen. Like rights taken away and stuff. Absolutely. So things like mandated vaccines, things like um, one world economy, um, one world currency, cashless society, um, a lot of things that if they just said one day, by this date, we're doing, doing away with cash, 
there'd be uproar. So this virus came in as a wonderful guise to get all of these things pushed through without any question and without any fight from people. Um, and I think obviously there's the underlying agenda of population control as well, um, but that it is because they need this kind of new world order, as they call it. It is a new way to run the world that they have had planned for a very long time. There is UN documents to show that, Agenda 21, Agenda 30, um, and they needed to push it through in a way that it would create as little resistance as possible. And how do you create little resistance? You get everybody into a state of fear. How do you get everybody into a state of fear without there being an obvious enemy, an invisible enemy? What could possibly be an invisible enemy? Oh, a virus. We can't see a virus, but it can kill. It could kill your loved ones. It could kill your little ones. It, can, it could live on, apparently, money. <laughs> but not your debit card. <laughs> yeah, I saw a funny story and um, someone had been to the supermarket and they had to pay with cash. And they said, oh, we can't take your cash because uh, you spread the virus or whatever. She was like, oh, okay, that's weird, but cool. Pay with card. Then the, the cashier gave her a receipt. <laughs> and obviously, doesn't leave her receipts. Uh, and the cashier has just touched all her shopping coming through the conveyor belt. Yeah, and, uh... and she's touched as well. And then you've got to pay, press it the keypad that everybody else has pressed, but they haven't touched, not everybody else has touched your cash. So how, <laughs> why, these are the little tiny things that we should be questioning. Like when masks became mandatory, I was like, oh, so where's all like the uh, hazardous bins for hazardous matter? Why aren't, you know, if this was a really deadly virus, you wouldn't be able to just whip your mask off and throw it in a bin with cigarette butts. It needs to go in a hazardous waste bin, but that's not happening. Another good question that somebody asked recently is if every time you come into somebody in contact with somebody who's positive for the virus, you have to self-isolate for 14 days. Why aren't the testers, when you go to these test centers, every time they test someone positive, why aren't they having to go into isolation for 14 days? Because obviously they're with, with somebody, maybe hundreds of people on a daily basis that are testing positive for this virus. And then they're going home to their family and they might go into shopping. So why aren't they being told to go into um, isolation for 14 days? But that doesn't make any sense because their PPE is saving them. Is that why? I, I have no idea. But these are little things that if you start to question, you'll probably be called a conspiracy theorist. But the only reason they're going to call you that is because they are so frightened that what you are saying could hold any weight that they possibly would have been duped, that they might have lost their businesses and loved ones over a complete lie it's far easier just to say oh don't be such a conspiracy theorist than to admit all of that stuff yeah yeah i totally agree and, and i've seen this i've the whole time i've ever been speaking about vaccines that's the mentality i've always had um people don't want to look at the facts they don't want to be start to do the research because they're frightened of what they might find yeah, and I've seen that you have suffered a lot of abuse. How have you kind of deal, dealt with that? Because I know your intentions are, uh, are for the good of everyone. So yeah, how's that been? And I know that too. So that's why it has been a little bit like water off a duck's back. At first, I'd like to say it was shocking, but I wasn't shocked by it. I was, I, I kind of expected it. I mean, I think if you watch my very first video back, I actually say, oh, I can see I'm getting a lot of hate faces coming up. Um, and, and I knew that from the offset, people were going to be 
vicious because you're talking about a subject that, as I say, they don't want to question. They don't want to think that that could possibly happen. Of course, they've got our best interests at heart. I mean, when I first started speaking out about vaccines, that is the biggest thing that people say. The government wouldn't do that to us, though. (laughs) Oh, okay. (laughs) Um, But, you know, they'll let us smoke and they'll let us drink and they um, let us be sprayed with DTT at one point. Um, You know, (laughs) They never give any health advice to that either, which we'll come back to. But also, um, all these small businesses and whatever that are going to have to close or go bankrupt, all that market share is going to go to the huge corporations. And I mean, Amazon's got uh, all-time highs this year. I think their stock price has doubled last time I checked. Yeah. Apple, Google, all well, these other huge, huge corporations with a lot of power already. So when they taped up all the closing, the Tesco's in Wales. Um, because they were non-essential items if people need those they're just going to go online to those big corporations and get them it's not they were non-essential you couldn't get them anywhere you can still get them it's just driving people into the hands of the people they want you to spend your money with so and and obviously if they do that then you've got really big organizations that are going to go along with this narrative as well because it serves them too so probably funding it aren't they realistically of course they are of course they are it's they're all masonic in my opinion (laughs) yeah yeah all the freemasons yeah they all look out for each other don't they so let's talk about some more positive stuff i know you studied at the prestigious czech institute i really like paul czech yeah um what are some of his teachings and what are some of his teachings that you would recommend to people at the moment Um, Paul's amazing and um, I decided to study with the Czech Institute because after studying nutrition I thought it was very uh, science-based, um, it was all really about the biology of the body and uh, well, the, the studying that I did anyway um, and I didn't think it was holistic enough for, for, for my from my viewpoint and I wanted something that was looking at things rather than looking at the body like a department store um, looking at how the body works as a system of systems and we are a jigsaw puzzle um so when i looked at some of the czech stuff i really loved the content and went and studied um to do holistic lifestyle coaching um that looks at absolutely everything it looks at environmental factors massively at environmental factors so what you're putting on your body in your body um what you're exposing yourself to physically mentally emotionally spiritually it's such a huge picture um from doing the check work i came across emma lane who um is uh, another incredible teacher um she does a lot of courses that are quite short some of them are only a weekend but boy do you get a lot of information in that weekend and she speaks about uh, fully functioning guts and parasites and the 12 pillars of well-being and that's something that i really hold on to um so she sp- speaks about the 12 pillars which a lot of people come into me and they'll say um I'm not sure why I have tried everything, but I've just always got this bloated stomach and, you know, I exercise, I eat well, but this, I'm always bloated. Can you do me a food intolerance test? And they're looking at body, body, body the whole time. What's going on with my body? But they're not looking at, that's only six pillars of well-being. The other six on the other side are mind. And they're not looking at, you know, how stressed are they? Because 
the stress that goes on in your body then has a massive reaction to how your body's functioning. So, you know, your, your physical well-being will impact your your, men, your mental well-being. Will impact that's a massive thing at the moment, isn't it? Because like you said, all this fear stuff, it's yeah. well documented thousands of times everywhere that stress is one of the worst things for your body and immune system. Fear suppresses the immune system because if you go back to hunter-gatherer, stress was about life and death it was about you know I, I might die in this next 10 seconds i've got to run away from this lion or i've got to fight it i might die so everything gets suppressed in the body the immune system gets suppressed the appetite gets suppressed your sex drive gets suppressed because you're not interested in having a meal fighting a cold making a baby if you're just about to die so the body functions like that but it's supposed to function like that in very short intervals just to get you over stressful periods but our life isn't in short stressful periods anymore our life is a constant drip 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 of stress and has been for some time so a lot of people that come into me with physical ailments and they've told me they've tried everything what they haven't tried is looking at the emotional mental and spiritual side so we're looking at things like you know do you have a purpose in life what's your purpose what do you see your purpose as um what do you do to manage your stress um, how do you breathe as well? Because lots of people are chest breathers. So they breathe up here, chest short, stressful breaths rather than nice deep breaths down into the diaphragm, into the into the tummy, massaging the digestive organs as it goes, which, you know, if you have this shallow breath, then you are also often constipated because you don't get that massage happening. Um, so breath work is important. All the things that people see are really quite woo-woo, um, but are half of the 12 pillars of well-being that most people are not overlooking at all. Um, Emma's supposed to be writing a book about the 12 pillars of well-being. She's been threatening to write this book for a really long time, but she's such a busy lady. Um, and hopefully once, once she does write this book, that is the one I will direct everybody to because people will be amazed at the things that they are think they're doing okay, but there's, so, there's always at least four pillars that people should be working on. Um, maybe a couple from each side of the mind body uh, but my, my book's a little bit similar it won't go into any of the depth that I know Emma will because she's so thorough and when I wrote mind body miracle I wrote it um, not for a practitioner I wrote it just for the average person that just wants to start looking at ways that they could improve their health a little bit um, and it is set out in a similar way um, tools that you can do to improve your mind tools that you can do on a daily basis to improve your body doesn't have to be big things that's the other thing that again Paul Chet talks a lot about he talks about a rainbow bridge he talks about everybody's at a different point on their rainbow bridge so we're crossing over the rainbow to get to the pot of gold some people that come to see me they're what I would call frozen food mums so you know they're just rushing around and they're just chicken nuggets and chips in the oven from the freezer every night there's no way I'm going to be straight away right okay change all your diet up raw raw food organic meat you know it's they're not there yet happen, we've got to get them to a point where they're just choosing fresh ingredients and making meals from fresh at home and then you're crossing that rainbow bridge slowly but surely they will get there it's just they're not there yet you, you you'll send them away and they'll never come back because it will be so overwhelming so it, it's that's what Mind Body Miracle is about, looking at where you are now and looking at the kind of little things that you can start to do to improve. Just keep moving forward. You're only really in competition with yourself um, and, not, uh, and not underestimating the relationship between the mind and the body.
Yeah, definitely. I mean, I got into holistic health about three years ago. And since then, I've kind of broke down every little thing. And I feel so much better now. But it is a process, isn't it? It is. And, and it a massive thing for me is actually kind of the mental side, loving yourself enough to make loving choices for your mind and your body. Yeah. Because a lot of people deep down, they don't love themselves, do they? No, a lot of people are harboring a lot of trauma. Um, that's where a lot of anxiety comes from, a lot of abandonment issues. Um, and that can they can come from very loving homes, never had parents that are separated, um, but can still have abandonment issues. And that can come from, you know, being left at school when they were smaller, being... Um, in relationships that break down um loads of things stem from that because um you lose validation in in that moment and then you, you lose your self-belief and that's when you start to tap into any of the filing cabinet in the back of your mind that stored any of the negative beliefs that you have because that's how the mind works the mind works as a safety mechanism so if you go through something that makes you feel pain whether it's physical or mental pain you store that in your mind so touch a touch a, a kettle and it's boiling hot oh i won't do that again you stored that in your mind don't do that same thing works with mental pain somebody says or does something to you you store it in your mind not to go go there again so you don't feel that hurt again and that's often why people get a lot of uh, fears phobias um, they become commitment phobes um, because they've had this experience that's made them like a heartbreak uh, for themselves yeah you, you you create a bubble it's it's self-preservation and um, a lot of people say well why i'm like that because your mind's protecting you that's what it's supposed to do it's supposed to protect you you've just got to explain to it and there are ways around this especially in hypnotherapy um you've just got to explain to it that it doesn't have to do that for you anymore um thank you for trying to protect you but there's other ways that we can move forward now um hypnotherapy works well for that that's parts therapy cool sounds interesting and uh yeah there's yeah, loads in of a conflict yourself in a conflict therapy okay cool cool uh, so yeah, there's all this fantastic health advice out there, holistic health advice, and the government has never really given any any of that, have they, or any mental health advice, and now they suddenly care about our health, apparently, but still, they're not saying, you know, eat a diet that's good for your immune system, don't get too stressed, do some meditation and whatnot, are they? No, we've not had any real health advice. We've had wash your hands uh, while you sing happy birthday, wear a mask and stay two metres away from everybody, cover yourself, Alert. In, that was my favorite cover yourself in carcinogenic hand sanitizer. Um, so if this were really was a public health crisis, um, they, you would hope, and they, they weren't paid off by the pharmaceutical companies, you would hope that they would be giving us uh, much better advice about building our immune system, what kind of foods that we can eat to um, make sure that we have um, good levels of nutrients and vitamins and minerals so that our immune system keeps boosted, um, you know, getting plenty of sleep. And what did they do um, in the first lockdown? They limited us getting out into the outdoors where we need vitamin D, which is number one vitamin for boosting your immune system. I mean, that is not a government that's caring in any way about your health yeah the sun's massive isn't it that's why so many people get depressed and ill in the winter because they go to work it's pitch black they come back it's pitch black they haven't been in nature they haven't seen the sun and yeah we're not meant to live like that at all are we? and they knew that 
they did know that it wasn't just a coincidence that that's the advice that they gave they know what they're doing they know what they're creating and that's why it really riles me and you'll often find me on um, Matt Hancock's Facebook page making a derogatory comment trolling him in fact <laughs> um, um, about the he'll say things that are so against what he's actually done and it really I think how have you got the cheek just like I'll remember on Sunday he said we will never forget them and I just commented well why have you forgot all the people that are in care homes with DNR sitting on them that that is the same people that fought in these wars but you'll never forget them you'll never forget the dead ones what about the living ones um it's just insane so two-faced um and the slime boy isn't he just looking at him like absolutely vile I cannot I there's not very many people that I say I despise but that man has got evil blood running through his veins you can see it in his eyes for me and his aura and everything he just I don't know how he sleeps at night I don't know how anybody with with that much hate sleeps at night that much hate in his heart and he must have that much hate in his heart to know full well what he is inflicting on the human race that is hateful, it is spiteful, uh, he's narcissistic, he's gaslighting the nation, knowing full well what he's doing. It's abuse on many, many levels, financially, emotionally, spiritually, physically now, if the vaccine is being made to become mandatory, uh, it's physical abuse to put, make somebody wear a mask anyway. He's an abuser on many forms. How that man sleeps at night, I do not know. Yeah, I saw someone compare it to that, like the government and the people now. Yeah. as being in an abusive relationship yeah i, I think i did when i spoke at liverpool I, I spoke about we are now in an abusive relationship with the government um and and it's gaslighting it's you know when i speak to people that have been in abusive relationships they have the same um terminology used so things like it's for your benefit or um you do understand why i'm doing this don't you um little things like that and they'll they'll realize that they've pushed them too far so they'll do something really really nice which makes them think oh it's it is me because look how nice they're being and then they'll snatch it straight back again um yeah, which they'll probably say go out at christmas yeah, absolutely. And that's what I was going to say. I saw yesterday that they've said that they might do another eat out to help out in December. Oh, thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, are you for sure? That's, isn't that what caused all the problems? The first yeah, then they'll blame it on us for taking advantage exactly. of it. The they do time. something so they can blame it on you anyway. Yeah. <laughs> It is. Oh. You have to laugh, don't you? It is laughable a lot of it. I'm laughing because if I don't, I would have to go around throat punching people. I think, <laughs> but um, I'm laughing. I know that other people are finding it really, really difficult to laugh right yeah. now. I know people that are um, on the cusp of losing absolutely everything. People that do not agree with this vaccine, but they're in a position where they're going to be forced to take it. Um, I've, I've heard from a lot of people in the NHS that are terrified. They don't want this vaccine, but they're uh, frightened to lose their jobs uh, a lot of carers as well they know they're going to be among the first to take it they know that they're going to be the part of the guinea pig trial th uh, phase three and four but they feel like they've been backed up against a wall um, and they are the people I'm lucky because I have my own business so I am pretty self-sufficient to a degree um, so they are the people that are backed up against the wall that I will continue to fight and speak out for Fair play, yeah. You are a real truth warrior. 
And what would you advise those people that might be in these sticky situations? Because obviously it's, it's difficult, isn't it? It's, hard it's to... so hard because, um, I mean, you, you get people say, um, well, just, just leave your job, just walk away. You're going to lose so much anyway. Um, but if, if you're in that place of fear, then you, you just, you can't, you've got to put food on the table for your children. You're terrified that you won't be able to feed them, but you're terrified that you're going to be forced this vaccine. Then you're going to be so ill. You won't be able to feed them anyway. Um, there are people, there's, there's people in the NHS that have walked away, have spoken out. Um, they have lost everything. They're struggling now. They're struggling massively uh, financially. Um, I don't, at the moment, I, I'm going to say to them what I say to my kids when they get carried away with a story that hasn't actually happened yet. Don't create a story before it's a story. We don't know what the ultimate outcome of this is going to be. We don't know what kind of rules and regulations they're going to go, they're going to try and push. Um, but I would say if it comes to that, then absolutely fight it because you um, there is no nowhere in law. And, and especially um, employee law saying that you have to be forced a medical, uh, any medicine to take a job. That's that, that shouldn't, you, if, if that was the case, you would have had that signed in your contract. And if it's not signed in your contract, then that, I can't see how that is going to be enforceable. So it needs to be full. It needs to be full. And I'm sure at that stage, there will be human rights lawyers um, coming forward and speaking out. Um, Francis Hoare is a good one to um, follow on that one. He's the human rights lawyer that works alongside on the Simon Dolan case. Um, but he's uh, he speaks out quite a lot on how things are unlawful, but they are being pushed as legal. Um, and he's, he's, he's got quite a good Twitter account to follow. Awesome. What was his name again? Just so everyone Francis Hoare, H-O-A-R, and he's a human rights barrister. Okay. Super, awesome. I think people need to kind of sit together, don't they? Like within the uh, the nursing industry, for example. They'll yeah, people come out in force. People power, isn't it? Yeah, if you can come out in force, then obviously that holds more weight. Um, if you you come out as a group, a community. Um, so if now is a time, if you don't have a union to build one, to make one, um, and to start to um, build, you know, Telegram, Signal, all of those platforms where you can start to add people in that are like-minded and get a plan together, should that happen? Because forewarned is forearmed. Hundred percent. And talking about sticking together in community, now you talked about when you spoke in Liverpool. I know you spoke in London as well to tens of thousands of people. How did you find that? How was the experience? Um, Liverpool was lovely. It was the, it was the I, I led the first ever protest in Liverpool with regards to this uh, disproportionate lockdown um, for Save Our Rights. Um, Save Our Rights came up with the idea that we'd been doing lots of protests in London at that point, and wouldn't it be good to get one in all the major cities across the UK in one on one particular day? It just turned out that I was running my Liverpool clinic that weekend, so I said, "Oh, I'll do Liverpool. I'm there anyway." And I absolutely love Scousers. They have just got this fighting spirit. Historically, they do not take any crap whatsoever, um, and I just knew in my heart of hearts there'd be a good turnout. And and, um, and there was, we had, I think there's probably about four or 500 people, which for the first one was great. Um, and we were on the steps of St. George's Hall. It was a great day. We had great speakers. Um, I don't know if you saw Laura Jane spoke that day for the first time. She's only um, 20, I think. And I, she. I invited her on the pod, actually. 
Oh, get her on. She's awesome. She's um, so powerful that day. And it's funny with Laura because I was in this little WhatsApp group with all the people that were speaking in Liverpool and um, people had recorded their speeches so I could see because they were all really nervous. They'd never spoken before and they recorded it and I was listening to it and I was like, they're going to be fine. It's amazing. But Laura hadn't and she'd written her speech up and I'd read it briefly, but obviously it's not going to be as impactful as saying it. And when I met her on the day, she seemed really shy and her mum and dad were there and I was thinking, oh, I hope she's going to be all right. And when she spoke, I was like, where did that come from? She was unbelievable, just incredible and so well researched and just gave me hope for the future because of her age. And at that point, there weren't very many young people speaking out. Um, so she was so powerful and she's gone on now to speak in London and um, she's she's on, on a roll now. She was amazing. So Liverpool was great. Loved Liverpool, loved Scousers anyway. Um, just, I spoke at the, one of the Trafalgar Square protests. I think there's about 40,000 people there that day, which was quite knee trembling. But I'll, I'll tell you a funny story from that day. Um, Kate Shemarani introduced me and um, I was standing just on the wings with Sean Argyle. I don't know if you know Sean Speaks. Um, he, no, sure. um, uh, honestly, follow him on Instagram um, and YouTube and try and get him on the podcast. He's speaking a lot of truth. He was standing on the wings and um, Kate Shemarani said, oh, we've got this girl on now. She's got a huge social media following. She's got a vaccine damaged child. She's so passionate about what she speaks about. Um, she's absolutely beautiful. And so Sean stand next to me and he went, oh, who's she speaking about then? Who's going to speak now? I was like, me. <laughs> <laughs> Savage. You should have been slapped. <laughs> <laughs> um, which just made me laugh. He was like, oh my God, go, go, go. You've just been like, can't you tell? <laughs> Good job I haven't got that ego. But <laughs> it broke the ice before I was like, my knees were knocking because I could just, he couldn't even see the back of this crowd. Um, and I had my little cards, which I always use as a prompt. Um, so I was really, really kind of trying to work myself into a place where I was good to go on stage. And then, and then Sean made me, we just laughed and I went on, it was fine. Um, and yeah, it was, it was great to um, be able to speak about something freely that I'm so passionate about. Because I have been asked by um, Sky and Channel 4 um, to do an interview, but I know full well how that would go down. So I normally um, do like a five on one and stuff, don't I? <laughs> I, will, I will speak on platforms where I've got a free reign to say things that need to be said, because right now the truth, it's like modern day book burning. It's being censored left, right and centre. Um, I've just filmed a documentary actually with a, um, a really uh, young and um, enthusiastic um, uh, film filmmaker who just saw me speak at Trafalgar Square and was said, you know, I want to make a documentary about this movement. Would you be in it? And he's got Dolores Carhill, Dr. Mohammed Adil, um, Louise Hampton, um, who is NHS whistleblower, Carly Louise Stewart, NHS whistleblower. Um, so he's just editing that and that should be out in December. Um, but I, that was a great platform because it, I got so many facts in when I was being interviewed about vaccines, all the kind of things people ask me, well, why are they so bad? Um, why are you so against them? What happened to your daughter? Is she okay now? Um, all of that kind of stuff. All the really um, controversial stuff that I would never be allowed to say on mainstream about aborted fetal cells being used in vaccines, um, the lack of the, the testing, no gold standard testing, the way that the vaccine damage is reported, the way that it's paid out, and the fact that 
vaccine manufacturers have legal immunity. Um, all of that, facts, figures, studies, we've got it all in. We've done two days of filming. So um, that'd be great to get out there because I think that will help a lot of people. And what will that be called? Um, I think, I don't know if it's a working title um, or it's the it's going to be the actual title, um, but at the moment it's the Trail of Truth. Trail of Truth, cool. I'm guessing you'll share that on your page anyway so people follow you. Oh yeah, of course, yeah. Well, <laughs> don't know how long it will stay up, but um, that's I'm what sure we're you're still going in there. We're relying on um, it to go onto social media and just get shared everywhere. Awesome, look forward to it, look forward to it. And then... I'm guessing you've got a lot of this information in your books. Do you want to talk a little bit about your books? Yeah, there's only, um, there's one book that I co-authored, which is just a, a recipe book. And then I've got The Mind, Body Miracle, which is my book, um, which is very basic in terms of, like I said, things you can do for your mind, things you can do for your body. Um, I am um, in the process of writing another three books. Huh? <laughs> um <laughs> Yeah, one of them um, I'm writing collectively with um, a lot of other truth seekers from this movement. It's going to be called From Death Threats to Marriage Proposals. And um, it's about our journey. Um, so people like Louise Hampton, Carly Louise Stewart, um, or a lot of the truth truthers, Eddie Gray, um, who have been quite loud during this movement. It's all women which is no surprise because I think it's the um, women that have been the most vocal. Um, and that's just going to be about our journey, what, what made us speak out, what we spoke out about and where it's led us to. Um, and it has been literally, we could open your mailbox and one minute you've got a death threat and the next minute you've got a marriage proposal. That's how much of a roller coaster it really is. Um, so that will be an interesting one to get out. Um, the other yeah, one, one of them is very controversial, so um, we're struggling to get a publisher for it at the moment because it does, it's very in-depth about vaccines. Um, that's called Killing Me Softly, and it's about all the things you do for your children that you're, you think you're doing out of love, but actually does cause them harm. Okay, yeah. Yes. You talk so about you the history, you know, like the Rockefellers and all that kind of stuff. Um, yeah, I will. I will touch on that a little bit because it is part of um, one of the chapters in terms of the corruption in pharmaceutical companies, because obviously it was their takeover that took away from um, herbalism and um, homeopathy and naturopathy, which was leading in medicine and healing. Um, and that was snatched away and replaced with pharmaceuticals. It's so only been about 100 years, hasn't it? People 1913, yeah, 1913 is when John Rockefeller was an oil, oil tycoon and um, decided to buy up all the pharmaceutical companies as well as all the medical schools. And the media. Uh, at, well, yeah, and the media. Uh, it is he's, he's a very well thought out plan, to be honest. Um, it does go back a little bit before that, if you really look back in history. But so it wasn't just, you know, he just had this epiphany one day. Um, it, it was planned very, very well. And, and here we are, a hundred odd years later, um, still being run by pharmaceutical companies and, and governed by the media. And uh, look where it's got us. How's that working out for us? <laughs> yeah. Can't leave the house anymore. No, that's it. That's it. And look at how over the last hundred years, all of the chronic diseases have gone up. You yeah, know? That, that cancer is moving towards one in two. It used to be like, what was it, one in 50 or in 100? 
Yeah, mm-hmm. and, and so is autism moving towards one in two. So they say by 2025, I think uh, Dr. Stephanie Seneffi from the uh, MIT Institute said one in two by 2025. Mm-hmm. And 40 years ago, it was one in 100. Yeah, we're living in a very toxic and poisonous world, aren't we? Generally? Absolutely, we are. Absolutely. But it's done, been done at such a slow pace, most people don't even realise it because also it's been coupled with um, quite a lot of anaesthetic and distractions being poured into us as well. So we haven't even noticed the changes that have been going on until now. And it's like, oh my God, what's happened? Like <laughs> a bomb yeah. exploded. Well, it's, alcohol is a prime example, isn't it? Like they didn't close the off licenses during the lockdowns. Yeah, I said that in my initial video. Yeah. Just yeah. piss all the time. And then that in itself, you kind of um, go small and whatever, aren't you? I, I've got a friend in Wales, actually, and she sent me a video. She said, look at this. You can't buy any of the clothes, but they've fenced off the clothing aisles with rows and rows of Quality Street. <laughs> so they were essential. <laughs> you could literally they were piled high pringles or quality street at the end of every aisle that sold a non-essential item um which is just hilarious that they're trying to get everybody to gravitate towards more toxins in a in a national or an international pandemic i mean just none of it adds up and we could go on all day couldn't we honestly it's it's i i struggle the most now with the fact that people can't see this yeah yeah. <laughs> I don't know how you can't. Yeah, I don't know what else to say. It's just, it's crazy, isn't it? It's crazy. But crazy yeah, times. we talked a lot about a lot of heavy stuff. So let's finish on a bit of fun. So this is how I end my podcast. Give me three dream dinner guests and why. Oh, my God. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry to put um, you on the spot. I One of them would definitely have to be um, Robert Kennedy Jr. Yeah. Um, and that's because of his work in children's health, health defense and um, everything that he has done in terms of vaccines. Um, he's absolutely incredible with his work. There are people that think he's a shill or paid opposition. Um, if he is controlled opposition, he's not controlled very well because he's made more inroads into vaccines than anybody. So uh, he would definitely be there. Um Oh my God, I, I would probably have to have my mum. <laughs> Love that. My mum was my best friend um, and I lost her seven years ago, but she was the absolute beginning of my journey into uh, all of this. When I wrote my book, I dedicated it to my mum and I said, I had to lose you to find me. I often wonder, even though I'm told by many, she'd be so proud of you. I often wonder what she'd think and make of me now because I'm not the same person that when she left. So it'd be great to have her there and find out exactly what I thought. Yeah. It sounds like a very similar story to myself because mine all began when I lost my dad three years ago. And it also seems to be a common theme of all the guests I've been on. Uh, a moment of losing a loved one or a moment of despair that actually propels them into a, a new, better way of living. You know, I think sometimes the worst possible things put you on the path to the best. Um, I, I once spoke at the Best Year Expo in um, London Earls Court and the topic was strength in adversity and that was what it was about you, you know you can't see it when you're in it at the time you can't see when you're in this dark place how beneficial it's going to be in the long run but often when you look back you realize why you had to go through it to get you to where you are now uh, an example of that is my sister had cancer um, a few years ago 
but she's so grateful to her cancer now. Obviously, she wasn't at the time. She was, why is this happening to me? But her life now is unrecognizable in comparison to before she had cancer. She's lost weight. She's changed her diet. She's changed her partner. She's changed her job. Um, just everything is different. And it wouldn't have been unless that had happened to her. So, yeah, same with what's going on now. Sometimes we just need to remember that everything happens for a reason. Have faith because the light will prevail. And when it does, you'll realize why you had to go through this. Powerful and very important message. I think your mom will be very proud of you, by the way. I'm sure she would be. Thank you. Thank you. I hope so. And uh, have you got a number three at the dinner table? Do you know what? Probably a little while ago, I would have said Gary Barlow. I'm the most crazy Take That fan and I have been for about uh, 15 years, probably longer. No, 30 years. 30 years. <laughs> I, was, I was 12, 13 when I started liking Take That. So 30 years I've been a Take That fan. But now I'm a little bit suspicious of him. <laughs> oh, not another one. <laughs> yeah, another one. I'm thinking, mm, let's see how this pans out. We've had Robbie Williams speak out about stuff. We've had uh, Howard Donald speak out about stuff. Um, but no Gary Barlow. And he's quite involved with the establishments, isn't he? He's quite in with the Queen. And he's right. quite in with a lot of the suspect people. So perhaps I wouldn't have him. But I might have his bandmate, Jason Orange, who did one from Take That, because he might be able to tell me some stuff about him. <laughs> and yeah. actually, Jason's the spiritual one. So um, he'd probably make a better guest anyway. You can do a bit of digging there. Yeah. <laughs> oh. Yeah, so... Might probably not been the most interesting dinner party, but I'd like to have them all there. Oh, it's your dinner party? So. No, I, I would be more than happy with them three. Awesome. Sounds good. Sounds good. Well, yeah, thanks for that. Thanks for getting involved in a bit of fun. And thank you for today. Really enjoyed having you on. Thank you for having me on. Yeah, we have. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, have you got any final comments or anything you want to sell at the end? Like, have you got no, any not at all. Um, just, you know, uh, at the moment, people can find me on um, my Jacqueline Down Facebook page. I don't know how much longer I'm going to be allowed to keep that. I've also got a Wimkin account, Instagram account, um, Telegram channel. Um, my, if all else fails, my website should hopefully stay up and I'm about to get a subscribe button so people can keep in contact with that with me there. And that's um, mindandbodydetox.co.uk. Fantastic. Yeah, if you send me over yeah, any links, I'll, I'll drop them in the description below. And then people Brilliant, can, thank Obviously, you. I've got your Facebook, but yeah, if you could send over your website and whatnot, that'd be great. And also, just to finish things, uh, I've got some guided meditations, which I'll leave in the description below. It's a great time over a lockdown to get into meditation, if you haven't already. And I've put a discount code, so you get 33% off if you use that. Awesome. Wicked. So yeah, thank you very much for your time. I appreciate it. Thank you. And all the best. Thanks.